Hi, welcome to our, it's not really our final class, but it's the completion of the first 53 chapters of Sefer Tanya, uh, Sefer Benonim. We're going to be going through classes, uh, through chapters 48 to 53 today, Bezrat Hashem. Um, but just before we do that, we're going to try and do a super quick summary up until now of the the first uh, 47 chapters. Um so we'll start like this, as we said many times now, that the the uh, dichotomy that the Jew is uh, is is placed uh, between is the the creation is the created nefesh of Bahamas that is scared of dying, and the non-created nefesh of Akis that, in a sense, is kind of scared of living. Um, and the balancing act of being Jewish is this is this. Uh, is this kind of uh, balancing between the two, um, between these two completely different pools? Hi, David. Uh, we said that the the breakdown of the soul is that we have the Chabad, which is called the Moichin, the Chochmah, Bina, and Das, um, which um, creates or or influences the emotions, which is the seven uh, emotional faculties. So the the soul is made of, so to speak, a head and a uh, and a body. We explained that the soul also has garments, which we call behavior, because we can start doing things and stop doing things, just like we put on garments or take off garments. Lots of uh, lots of uh, hints uh, in the word garment there. Um, and then we explained that the Torah and mitzvahs, doing mitzvahs, is garments for the soul. Uh, and learning Torah is like bread for the soul, where it actually comes inside the soul and nourishes it from within. Um, we then introduced the concept of klipa. Um, everything lives off its divine energy, and it has a casing, so to speak. The divine energy is dimmed down through what's called tzimtzumim, goes down through many, many contractions, uh, and then is finally received in a kind of shell or a husk that allows for this world to exist as it does. Um, it is, uh, there are two levels of this shell, the translucent shell that partially conceals that divine spark. That's the things that the Jew is meant to be involved in in this world, the permissible things. And then there is the um, completely opaque trans um, uh, which creates the forbidden realm that the Jew has to avoid. Uh, we explain the um, the three um, characters of the Tanya, the Russia, the Benoni, and Sadiq. Uh, on one foot, we said the Russia has got uh, his emotions are not in line with Hashem, and his behavior is also not in line in, with Hashem, mean, meaning that he sins, he transgresses. The Tzaddik, his internal world is completely divine, is in, aligned with Hashem 100%, and then obviously his behavior is also aligned with Hashem. Um, and then we have the guy in the middle who we're striving to be, whose inner world is divided between selfishness and selflessness, between serving God and serving himself. Those are the only two options that we have available to us ever. And um, so he's divided internally. However, on a behavioral level, he always chooses godliness. He always chooses the mitzvah and he never chooses the avera. Um we explain that the long path or the, the overall um, work of the Jew in this world 
is the using of his mind to influence his heart, to actually create emotions in his heart over the long haul. Um, but the Rebbe said that do not worry, because this takes years and years, it really does. Um, and there is a shorter method as well, kind of um, in emergency break glass, which is pulling on your uh, innate Jewish ability to give up your life for your creator. So he basically says, if you give up your life for it, then, um, then live for it. And it's very important to know that there's only one of two options, as we've said over and over and over. Every single thing in this world is so simple, though the world takes on such a a, a, a multiplicity of, of opportunities and options, etc. It's always a choice between me and him, always. And you have to remember that if you're not choosing him, by definition, you're choosing me, which is called a Vodazara, um, idol worship, and you would give up your life for that. You definitely wouldn't bow to an idol. Um, so the Rebbe says, if you wouldn't bow to an idol, then stop being so self-involved and get on with serving your creator. Um, he said that the the biggest um how do you say that the biggest uh, impediment to divine service is depression and anxiety. Depression and anxiety are two sides of the same coin. They're selfish thoughts projected backwards in the past, that's depression, projected forwards into the future, that is anxiety, and they will seriously interfere with your ability to serve God. Um, we explained also that Hashem's um, ultimate desire is to have a dwelling place in this world, which means bringing his energy, his presence into the lowest of all realms, which is what we're going to be discussing in detail today, Bezrat Hashem. Um, and then we spoke about the different, um, the different, if, if, the, if the action of the mitzvah is so fundamental, then where does the the energy of the motivation behind the mitzvah fit in. And he explained that, so to speak, the higher the level of the energy, the brighter the mitzvah shines. And that we're going to be revealed to when, when Hashem re removes the keeper from this world, the, the cover up from this world, and we'll see exactly how much godliness we revealed in the world. Um, there's also the ability of the idea of seeing the mitzvah from Hashem's perspective. Um, and then we spoke about fear and love. We have the two kinds of fear, which is the lower fear, the higher fear. The lower fear could be quickly described as I am and God also is. The higher fear could be described as God is and I also am. Being, It's a difference of perspective. The lower fear is me looking at God and the higher fear is my primary perspective is from God looking at me. And that causes kind of embarrassment in a sense. Um, we described a whole different different bunches, bunch of loves. We described the love called Avis Oilam, which is a love that you generate by thinking about basically how good God is um, in this world. And Ava Rabba, which is a, 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 give, a, a God a God given gift, basically, um, if you're deserving of it. And then we spoke about two other kinds of love, which was Nafshi Visicha and Kabbalah. One is not Nafshi Visicha, is um, full of energy, but does not contain self-sacrifice. And Kabbalah is not as energized, but does contain self-sacrifice. I'm not going to get into that now. Um, and we explained that having Rahmanas compassion is 
one of the most powerful ways to access your love. Um, having compassion on your child is an amazing, uh, is a really powerful way of turning what could be a hate, uh, it's probably too strong a word, what could be a, 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 a sense of um, repulsion, sort of, but also a bad word, but either way, into, into a form of love. We can do that through having compassion. Um, and then he mentioned the final thing um, was this idea of what's called the reciprocal love, which means the Rebbe explains that the way Hashem made the world was there's this default kind of reaction where you're loved by someone, a genuine love, not a selfish love. When you're genuinely loved by someone, you will love them back. Just like the water, like water reflects a face, one face to reflects the same face back. So too, he explains that when someone loves you with a true love, you love them back in a true way as well. Okay, let's do it. Chapters 48 to 53. So we've called this more love and the glow of divine combustion. So really the class really splits into two very clean parts is we've got chapters 48 to 50, which is kind of finishing off sections of love that we just spoke about earlier in the last week. Um, and then we have from 51 to 53, which is very intense, um, mystical, Kabbaladic, um, explanation on how the whole thing works which is fascinating and hopefully we'll we'll get some clarity on that um so the Rebbe really is basically finishing off in, in chapter 48 he's finishing off the, the the final part of like a face to a face when love is reflected in the previous chapters he was explaining where god how big god was and how lowly we were and where he brought us to, he brought us into the palace and he he like married us, so to speak, and he kissed us and he hugged us. That was the idea of mitzvahs, giving us toy mitzvahs, etc. Now the Rebbe kind of goes in a different direction and speaks about, so to speak, Hashem's self-sacrifice to allow us to be. So the way he describes it is that um, they're, they're, we've spoken about the tzimtzum, okay? The Simpson was a holding back of himself. The Simpson is the concept of constriction of, uh, of, of, of holding back. And um, the reason why he did that was to give rise to the ability for another to exist. Without that holding back, all of reality would have stayed as it was, as the simple, pure, divine light of the, of the infinite creator it wouldn't have been the creator, it would just been the infinite one. Um, and there would be no room for us. So he held himself back. Now there's this, this amazing dichotomy now, because we say that Hashem fills the entire world. But at the same time, we say that he held himself back. So this is one of the things that us Jews have, uh, have, have, um, have brought to the stage which is this idea of imminence and transcendence happening simultaneously. That Hashem is both imminent within the world and transcendent, not contained within the world at the same time. So um, there's a bunch of different ways of understanding this. The, the imminent light, the light that fills the world, uh, the way the Rebbe talks about it in this context is called Mamale Kualmin, which means filling the worlds. 
And the other light that transcends is called soiviv kwamen, which means surrounding the world. So we'll refer to them as male, which means to fill, male is fill, and soiviv, which means to surround. So there's the male light and the soiviv light. So the Rebbe gives the example of a man who imagines in his mind some kind of object. Within the person's mind, that object exists. But the person himself is much greater than the object. So there's a certain element of that person's mind that, so to speak, creates the object and, and gives life to the object and keeps the object in existence. But then there's a much greater part of the person's mind that isn't within that object or creating that object that surrounds the object. So a good, a good example of this would be um, would be to think about Albert Einstein giving a class um, on on uh, to preschoolers, a mathematics class to preschoolers. Okay, he's basically teaching a bunch of four-year-olds that one plus one equals two. Okay, so now Albert Einstein is aware of the formula, for example, equals mc squared, which is much more complicated much more complicated than, um, than one plus one equals two. Now, when, the, when, when Professor Einstein is sitting in front of, of the, you know, the four-year-olds and explaining to them one plus one equals two, they can receive that. If he was to start talking about the details that equals MC squared, they wouldn't be able to receive that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go in. There would be no way it could go in. So even though he could be there in his full glory and with his entire mind, it wouldn't be able to be received by the children. And that's the exact idea. That's the exact idea of, um, of the fact of Hashem being imminent and transcendent at the same time. We're not talking about like on a spatial level, that I think is a mistake that people could make where we've got the universe, let's say, and then outside of the universe, which I think they call like the potential field or whatever, that would be called the the Soviv Kuamen. It's not talking about that whatsoever. We're talking about the inability of the recipient to comprehend and to experience the full, um, the full, um, glory or however you want to say it um of the one who's giving to them so you could give another example of just of the difference between my three-year-old boy standing in front of elon musk and me standing in front of elon musk when my three-year-old boy is standing in front of elon musk the 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 ability of the the, the um what's the word the his his means are, are not the, the amount of money that he has and the power that he has could not be understood by my son, whereas by me on a, on a greater level than my son at least, it could be understood. So it's the same person standing in front of you, but it's a different uh, vessel, a different clay that can receive a different amount. So that's the concept of Soviv Kwamen Umale Kwamen. And, and the Rebbe goes on to say, this is a Shem sacrifice. Imagine the imagine the, the feeling of constriction 
that you would that you'd have to experience if you had the mind of Albert Einstein and you were forced to teaching preschoolers one plus one equals two. That would be an uncomfortable situation to be in. I mean, I know that in regards to teaching photography, you know, when I start with my students at the lowest, lowest level, um, it's it, it feels like you're, you know, anyone could be doing what I'm doing right now. You don't need me to be teaching this. Yeah. So that that's what the Rebbe says. So the Rebbe basically says, look, just like a share must sacrificed for you, now you should sacrifice for him. It's kind of funny because obviously a share didn't have to sacrifice anything because nothing causes him effort. But the Rebbe was saying it kind of conceptually um, that you should dedicate yourself completely to him, just like he dedicated himself completely to us. We should reciprocate and dedicate ourselves completely to him, even to the point of he talks about in a set, he uses the word mafkir to be uh, to make hefka like to make ownerless even your family, even your wife and children. So that's very difficult to deal with. So one second. I can't, I'm giving you some really shit. Something like that. That, um, that um, he says to make hefka even your wife and children, which really means to make them ownerless, which is an amazing thing to say, because um, that's not the derech of, that's not the way of, of Chabad. Chabad is a very kind of in this world, uh, in this world kind of avoda um, kind of service. What, what he was saying, what the way I understand it, he's, he was talking about understanding that even your family, you don't own even your family. Not that you shouldn't dedicate yourself to them and serve them, not at all, but you don't own them. And you might say, oh, but you know, whoever thought that he owns his family, yeah? But we do, we all think that we own our families. We think that we own our cars. We think in the mo in the in the in the, the greatest feeling of ownership that we have is, is to, towards our families. We wouldn't call it ownership but we take it very, very, very personally. And we need to take it personally on one level, but in truth, we have to understand that the concept of me is an illusion. So how can I own anything? I am a created being. I was created by Hashem. That's, that's all the relevance that I have. I have no other relevance. And that's what the Rebbe was saying But when he said you must have to be muffed here to make hefka, to make ownerless, so to speak, even your wife and family. Why? Because that's the ultimate, not, not to neglect them, but that's the ultimate recognition or display of the fact that you've recognized that your selfhood is an illusion. Well, there's a very profound, uh, very profound um, way of describing, a very profound way of getting that into us by saying such a controversial thing. And, uh, and, and then once you look into it, you're like, wow, that's amazing. Anyway, um, so now just to move on a little bit to the next chapter, the Rebbe speaks about a final love, which he describes as a love like gold. Okay, he explained that all the other loves before, 
were from the right side, which were like silver. And there's an, this other kind of love, which he, uh, which he calls basically a love like gold, um, which is actually a love from the left side, from the side of judgment, as opposed to the side of kindness, from the side of constriction, as opposed to from the side of expansion, um, that we can also access primarily through thinking about um, the, the insubstantialness, is that a word? Insubstantialness? I think I just made that up. Either way, the, the, the insubstantialness of this world. And I mean, anyone who reads any physics books nowadays or any, uh, any you know, any of the, uh, of the um, non-dual theory texts that are knocking about um, will understand what we're talking about here. That if we can try and think about how this world is literally made of nothingness, literally, and that reality is Hashem, um, he says that will bring us to a, uh, a kind of, he calls it a, a kalus and nefesh. It's different from the other loves, where the other loves kind of force you into action. Like when someone loves someone, the, 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 the regular response is, I want to do something for you. This love, he explains, is that it gets to the point where you don't want to do anything for God. You just want to merge into him. You want to leave this world and merge in with him. He calls it kalois and nefesh, which means the kind of um, the, the, the ending of the soul, the, the, the desire of the soul to just be nullified back into its source. This is really what tshuva is about. And now he explains, he brings this beautiful chazal from, um, it's like the idea of the Levium, the, the, the Kohanim with the side of the right side, and the Levium who used to sing to God, that was the raising up of, uh, the raising up of their soul to Hashem. That was the, um, that, that's what he's talking about here, this, this idea of just pining, I suppose, pining to just, to just, to just merge back in with, with reality. And just to finish with this, 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 this world of, of selfishness. Um, but that's, that doesn't propel us, that doesn't motivate us into service. What does motivate us into service is the recognition that we actually have to be here. And the Rebbe brings the Mishnah from Pekaras that says, Al-Kocha atachai, Al-Kocha atameis that against your will you live, and against your will you die. So the Rebbe says that Al-Kulcha Atta Chai is what you, what you say to yourself when you are pining to be, to, to merge back in with the Creator. No, against your will you live. Your desire really is to become one with God. We know that. That's how it is. Fine. But you need to be here. Why? Because you've got work to do. Shem made you for a purpose. You've got a mission in this world. And that's it. So so as a person experiences this, this, this desire to merge 
with reality and to leave behind the, the fantasy of this world, the illusion of this world, um, he needs to remind himself that, no, you're not here for you. It's such a, it's such a healthy thing to think about. I mean, whenever you hear, talk to people, how often do people, uh, you know, from my experience, most people turn uh, every conversation into a self a self fest no matter what you say it gets turned around on when it comes back about them so what the Reb is basically saying here is it's just nothing to do with you this whole world's nothing to do with you it's all to do with him if it was really up to you yeah you would be you would just merge back in with the creator. You don't want, the only reason why we don't want to merge back with the creator is because we've become so comfortable with this illusionary self that we're scared stiff of letting it go. We can't even imagine like any kind of, um, what's the word, any kind of dent in our armor as opposed to the completely, the, the letting go of that shell completely emerging back. But, no, against your life you live. But then the Mishnah goes on and says, you should know that against your will, you die. What's that, What's that helping us get in touch with? Is that once you've come back to this world, this comfortable feeling of like, okay, it's not so bad. I quite like it. You know, I'm in, yeah, I'm good. I've got, I'm into myself. That's fine. I'll do on my own. So the Rebbe says, no, you're going to die against your will as well. So that's the, that's the reminder of that's the reminder of when a person gets too comfortable with this world and, and settles into this full self, this egotistical reality. No, you should remember that you're also going to die and it's going to be against your will that you die, which means you should be you should be wanting to go back to Hashem, but knowing that you have a mission to complete in this world. And once this world gets too comfortable, no, remember that you're also going to be going back to Hashem. And it's a very, very healthy way of being of, of being in this world, a very selfless way of being. That's called Ratzah Veshoiv in the, in the words of Kabbalah. Ratzah means running. That's the idea of wanting to be merging back with Hashem. And Shuv is the idea of returning back to this world. Okay, we're longing to run into to Hashem, and we kind of, uh, what's the word? I wouldn't say begrudgingly, but we, the point is that what we're actually doing, the, the, the motivating factor of this love, is that we're using this love to motivate the return motion. The energy of this golden love, of this fiery love, the Rebbe describes, uh, describes this love, uh, this, this, um, but, uh, gold as silver with fire in it <laughs> so that's what gold is according to Kabbalah it's silver but it's got in it fire so the Rebbe explains that we can use the energy from that love to that, that wants to just leave the world to go back into the Torah and mitzvahs to complete our mission in this world and um, and in that sense it's really the most powerful of all the loves it's the, it's the love that can cause you to exert yourself in the most fantastic way um, imaginable. Okay, so now we're into the second part of the, of the class. So any questions on all of that? No? Good.
Um, now, we're going to get a bit Kabbalistic here, okay? We're going to use words of Kabbalah, um, but we'll try to explain them first. But I do want to stick to those words because to keep translating it the whole time is going to be annoying and, and cumbersome. So we're just going to try and get the vocabulary down first. Um, but the, the, basically, the, the Rebbe begins these three chapters, 51, 52, 53. They're very much a single unit. And he begins by asking the question, what does it mean, hashra sashchina? Okay, the shechina is the is the malekwamen. It's the it's the aspect of Hashem. Well, it's really the source of the malekwamen. It's the it's the aspect of Hashem that comes into this world. So, what does it mean that there's a concept of a specific location where Hashem dwells? Like, for example, in the Mishkan or in the base of Migdash, in the in the temple, um, we say that Hashem dwelled in the temple. But we know that Hashem fills the entire world. So what does it mean, Hashra the the resting of the Shekhinah? That's how the Rebbe begins. And he he launches into a complex analogy that in its own right is very helpful, but what we uh, what we'll 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 link into the point, and it's as follows, if I understand it correctly, is the analogy of how the soul interacts with the body. So um, the, the root of the soul is completely indivisible. It's one. So how could that be? If, if, it's, if it's completely indivisible and, not, um, and space is not relevant to it, then how could it be in anywhere in the body more than anywhere else? And it isn't. On that level, your soul fills your entire body. Remember, your body is a, is a microcosm of the entire world. So your soul filling your body would be the essence of your soul filling the body, just like the essence of Hashem fills all of creation, all of reality. Now, the soul has, the body has individual functions. So even though the soul fills the body and the, your, your fingers are just as alive as your, as your head, as your feet, as your, as your back, it's all alive equally. So what does it mean now that your soul dwells primarily in the brain, which is what Chazal tell us? And go something like this, that let's use an analogy to understand this analogy. And then we'll use this analogy to understand the analogy, which <laughs> the point we're trying to understand. Okay. You ever asked yourself the question, we know that we know that energy, also, I think this is the first law of thermodynamics, that energy cannot be created. It can be only transferred from one place to another, yeah? There's no creation of energy. You, everyone's aware of that? So you ever ask the question, where does the energy for the sun come from? Because the sun energizes this entire world. All the energy in this world, basically, you could like we'll talk about thermodynamics, but basically, 
uh, especially on a simple level, all of the energy of this world comes from the sun. You know, even lightning, I learned this this week, even lightning comes from the sun because lightning is the electrical charge in the water that gets heated by the sun that goes up into the clouds. And when the clouds get smushed around and stuff, that electrical charge that originally got charged by the sun explodes into a... That's, by the way, Gavriel, that is the, the most perfect analogy for the concept of Chochmah, the, the lightning bolt of Chochmah, and it hits the ground, which is Beanerism, and, and we'll speak about it another time, maybe. But anyway, the, the, where does the energy of the sun come from? So the energy of the sun, my friend told me, who's a big physicist, uh, comes from some kind of nuclear fusion, some kind of quantum stuff going on. In, in other words, the actual source for the energy of the sun is everywhere it's it's a, a quantum thing that is not placeable has no place now the sun takes that energy and however it brings it out into 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 actuality from potential to actual that's how it how it does it i don't know but now the sun shines that energy into the rest of the world so the source of the sun is everywhere. It's the concept of nuclear fusion, quantum, whatever, I don't know. But now that energy becomes located in a certain place. We call that the sun. And from the sun, it shines out into all of the stuff of this world. Now, it's interesting because the light of the sun is white. And white light is made up of all the different colors of light. Yeah, from red at the, the, the longest frequency to ultraviolet, I think, at the shortest frequency. And now that light shines out. Now, the sunlight does a bunch of different stuff, yeah? So, for example, when the sunlight hits leaves, it turns into energy. Uh, it turns into, like, sugar, basically, that, that causes the tree to grow, Yeah. When it hits someone's skin, it turns the pigment to go brown. When it hits water, it makes the water hot. It does all different kinds of stuff to different kinds of things, yeah? It melts ice, all, all kinds of stuff. Now, what's actually happening is, and that's just on a simple level, there's much like cooler, more complicated stuff going on that I don't know about. But what's actually happening is the, the elements the, the different wavelengths of light are being received by different vessels in this world. So, for example, the green leaves um, receive the green light of the sun and repel all the other colors of light. And that green light in the sun turns, it, turns into sugar and, 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 and helps the plant grow. Uh, the light that hits the water, I don't know, is like blue and that heats it up or whatever it is. But it's different properties within that indivisible light that then get taken by the, the vessel that's receiving it and turned into its own, um, its own special thing. So let's go back to the analogy of the, the soul. So the soul has the ability to speak and to see and to hear and to move and to think and all different kinds of stuff, yeah? That's analogous to the different light frequencies. 
Now, the soul, like we said, is indivisible in its essence and it's not placed. What happens is the soul, just like the quantum unplaceable energy locates itself in the orb of the sun, so too the implacable essence of the soul locates itself in the brain of the human being. And from the brain of the human being, those different all it's still it's still too much to really receive those individual functions now flow in or received by the different organs so the eyes receive the brain's ability the, the soul's ability to see and they deflect all the other abilities and by the way it goes from the highest the eye that seeing and thinking is the highest level Eye seeing is the next level, ears are lower than the eyes, the smell is a little bit lower than the ears, or maybe the same, speaking is a little bit lower than that, and then feeling and then walking, etc. Movement, all of the levels go lower and lower and lower. They're less, they're, they're less. But the point is that each each organ receives that energy from the indivisible soul just like the different frequencies of the sun are received by the different creatures and creations of this world. Now that translates, remember that was just an analogy. So we need, we needed an analogy for the analogy. And now that analogy we will use to explain how Hashem functions in this world, how he gets into this world. And that's the Shechina. Okay. The Shechina is just like our soul is manifest in the mind, in our mind, in our brain, so to speak. The Shechina is manifest in the brain of the world. The brain of each individual world is called, is called the, the Moichin, the Chochma, Binu and Das of that world. And that, that's the brain of that world. So we've got the four worlds. We have Atsilas, Abriya, Yitzira and Asiya. And now we're going to get a little bit into um, we get a little bit into the uh, into the Kabbalah ideas now. So um, let's just quickly explain these worlds. Atzilus, which means close, etzel. It also means emanation. So to call Atzilus a world in its own right is not really correct, although we do call it a world. But it's more like the 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 light that is emitted from the sun. That's not a creation. That's just a expression of the orb of the sun. The next world is the world of Bria, which actually means creation. That's where creation begins. That's that is actual creation. Then we have the world of Yitzira, which is the world of formation, which takes what's already created and forms it. That's a much lower level. And then we have the, the level of Asiya, which kind of puts things together, the formed bricks of of uh, Yitzira, it will put together and build into a into a building. That's the word of a seer. Now the the Shechina is actually too bright. Just like we can't look at the sunlight, we can't look at the orb of the sun. So too we can't actually interact with the Shechina. The Shechina, even though it's the light of God that can that, that's on a similar frequency of this that can that can interact with this world it's not completely transcendent it can interact with this world 
Um, even so, it's much too intense for us to experience it as it is. So Hashem created a filter for us to experience the Shechina. Gavriel, you know what that filter's called? Simpson? No. Um, the filter that allows us to do what? The filter that allows us to experience the Shekhinah. Remember, the, the Simpson allows for the Shekhinah. That creates the Shekhinah, so to speak. But it's still too powerful. It would still burn us up. Klipa. How's for Shalom? Guf. The Torah. That's the Torah. The Torah is rooted higher than Shechina. The Torah comes from Chochme Elah, which means the Chochme of Etzilus. The Shechina is manifest in Malchus of Etzilus, the lowest level of Etzilus. It's already the expression. So you can only block something with something stronger than the thing itself. So it, we need the Torah filtered down in however it filters down to act as a filter to allow us to receive the Shechina. So now the, um, the, the way it works, this is really fascinating. Again, I mean, we've said this over and over, but we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks discussing all this. The, the Rebbe talks about the, the Torah at the level of Bria, Bria, which we said is creation, which corresponds to the intellect. Okay, we create new things from the intellect and it's to do with understanding. So that corresponds to the level of the Torah we call, uh, called Talmud. Talmud is understanding, so to speak, the reasons, the simple reasons for mitzvahs. It's analysis. So that's the level of Bria. So the Torah of Bria is called Talmud. The Torah of Yetzira, which now is the emotional world, the intellectual world is at Silas. Sorry, the intellectual world is Bria. The, the world of emotions is Yitzira. Emotions say very simply, I like, I don't like. I want, I don't want. Give me, take away from me, or get, get away from me. No thinking, there's no, there's no intellect in, uh, in emotions. Oh, that, that, that's more complicated. But for all intents and purposes, there's no, there's no intellect in emotions. And therefore, that's the Mishnah. Because the Mishnah says, this is right, this is wrong. Rabbi Eliezer says this, Rabbi Yeshua says that. You can do this, you can't do that. Permissible, forbidden. Um, exempt, high, um, obligated, etc., etc. With no explanation. So that's the Torah on the world of Yitzira. The more it's more concealed. So there's no the, the 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 understanding of the Torah is concealed within the Mishnah. It's there, but it's concealed. So the level the Torah the, the Rebbe only speaks about those two levels. But you can extrapolate from that that the Chumash is in the level of a seer, or even you could say the Ten Commandments, where it's completely hidden. Even the do this, do that is completely hidden. You can't do anything from the Torah, the written Torah itself. And what would be the level of Atsilas? The Kabbalah. Understanding the, the real inner 
dimension of the Torah. So it's levels of relation, levels of 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 um, revelation. So the Torah in the world that corresponds to the world of Asiya, which is the Chumash and the Ten Commandments, is the most concealed. Then you've got the then you've got the world of Yitzira, where we've got the Mishnah, which is now much less concealed. In fact, it's actually become quite revealed, but we don't know why. There's no there's no intelligence behind it, so to speak. It's just do this, do that. You can do this, you can't do that. And then above that, the level of Bria is the level of the Talmud, which is now explanations and analysis and understanding the reason, so to speak, for the for the um, halachic rulings in Yitzirah. And above that, in Yitzilis, we have a complete revelation of Kabbalah, which is to do with the spheres and to do with understanding it on a very spiritual level. Okay, so um, now. Very quickly, let's just what what was the whole concept of the base of Migdash? I'm gonna say this very quickly. If we get it or not, it's not such a big deal because we'll, we'll go on to it. But the what happened in the first base of Migdash was there was the Kodesh Kadoshim. In the Kodesh Kadoshim was the Luchas, the uh the, the, the tablets in the Arna Kodesh, the original tablets. Now the original tablets, there was there was two basic miracles that happen with them but we'll just talk about one is that the samach and the mem um which are two letters that are completely completely enclosed meaning that there would be a circle in the middle the you could see all the way through and that circle of the the empty space in the middle because it's engraved would be would be stone levitated so to speak in the middle of the hole so it looked like a summer, but it, it levitated. Yeah, is that clear? Did I say that clearly? No. I mean, you understand that anyway, Gabriel. But but the the, the summer is like a zero. So if you engrave it in and it goes all the way through the, the tablet, that would mean there would have to be some, there would have to be kind of a levitating circle of stone in the middle. And that's how it was. So it's very interesting because we think about, oh, that's a nice miracle. But Gabriel, you realize what that miracle was? That miracle was the was the breaking of gravity. And gravity is the, so to speak, the um, the ultimate force of this world that's that works on us at the most visible, the most visible level of tether of nature. The point was that the, 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 the original tablets represented the fact that nature was being suspended. The, the laws of nature were being suspended, symbolized by gravity, which was symbolized by that channel of, of stone levitating. In the words of Kabbalah, it went like this, I understand it, is that Hashem enclosed himself in the Malchus of Atsilas, which is the revelation of himself in Atsilas, which became the moichin, the intellect of Bria. The intellect of Bria became enclosed in the Malchus of Bria. And from there, it bypassed the worlds of Yetzirah and Asiya and revealed itself in this world. In short, that's the reason why there were miracles at the time of the Bias Rishon, at the time of the first base in Mikdash. 
Now, in the second base of Migdash, there was no luchos. There was no um, there was no tablets. And the people who saw it, there were 70 years between them. The people who saw the first base of Migdash, they cried when they saw the second base of Migdash. Why? Because, as we said, in the first base of Migdash, it was it was the Ezef enclosed in Malchus of Atsilas that became enclosed in, in the Chabad in the Moichin of Bria, that became enclosed in the Malchus of Bria, that revealed itself as was in this in the Kodesh Kedoshim. In the Bayashani, it went. The Malch, the the Malchus, the uh, the Ainsoif was revealed in the Malchus of Atsilas, that became enclosed in the Moichin of Bria, that became enclosed in the Malchus of Bria, which became enclosed in the Moichin of Yitzira, which became enclosed in the Malchus of Yitzira, which became enclosed in the Moichin of Asiya, which became enclosed in the Malchus of Asiya, which became enclosed in the Kodesh of Atsilas. I made a mistake. It went down to the it went down to the moichin of a seer this is the most important thing it didn't go down into the malchus of a seer it revealed itself in the kodesh gadosh in the shechina as the moichin of a seer it didn't go down to the lowest level whether you understood that or not it doesn't matter but this is the point what happened after the base of migdash the second base of Migdash was destroyed, is that this, rever- this revelation now fell down to the level of Malchus de Asiya, the lowest level. And that's the level that we access through doing Torah and Mitzvahs. Now, this means that the energy, listen to this, the level of energy, because we just said it went all the way through all of the worlds, from Moichin to Malchus, to Moichin to Malchus, to Moichin to Malchus, ended up in the lowest level of the Malchus of Asiya, which means that the Torah and Mitzvahs that we do has the same level of energy as all of the other stuff of this world, of all the permissible things of this world. What's the difference? between the, the Torah of this world, the, the doing mitzvahs of this world, and, and, um, and, the, um, and the doing the other stuff of this world, is that that... Not surrounded en- by Klippa. That energy that came all the way down through has become teeny, teeny, teeny amount of energy in the things of this world has now been has now been um, covered over by Klippus Neuger. The forbidden thing covered over by the Gimel Klippus But the things in this world by, covered over by the translucent Klippa. But the energy level in the energy level in the Torah, the Tzimtzum, we should say, the constriction, the amount of light in our doing Torah and mitzvahs and our doing the things of this world is actually of a comparable level. The difference is to do with how much Kleeper is surrounding it. And that's why we don't feel anything nowadays when we're doing mitzvahs, or at least most of us don't. And the Rebbe ends up by bringing it all back and gives us the analogy of the oil and the lamp. And this is really the, the point of the whole book. This is how the book ends, okay? The oil, as we said earlier, is the mitzvahs. 
because they're completely nullified. There's no sense of self there whatsoever. The wick is the nefesh of Bahamis. Now, it's actually interesting because the Rebbe says that the, the, the flame stays attached to the wick through the through the destruction of the wick, through the, the kilion hapsil. How do you say kilion? Like the, um, the destruction. Consumption. Consumption, thank you. The consumption of the wick. And that was very confusing for me because the wick isn't consumed. The, the oil is consumed. But it's not true. The wick is actually consumed. Look it up. You can look it up yourself. The wick is incredibly slowly consumed. And that's the energy. The wick is the energy of our Nefesh of Bahamas that merges with the oil and it becomes bound together. And this, by the way, is Oilam Shana Nefesh. Oilam Shana is time and space, and Nefesh is very, that's the, uh, that, that's our consciousness, which creates matter as well, for that matter. Um, but the, the, those, three, those three elements merging together is the oil and the wick. And it's the burning of those things that allows the flame, the, the flame of God, the Shekhinah, to stick to the world, to be bound into this world. And that means in the tzaddik, who's flipping over the evil, the self, of his midas, of his emotions, that's that. That's the wick burning with the oil, which is the actual mitzvahs. In the regular person like you and me, who act correctly, it's the burning of the behavior, the levushim, the, the clothing, the garments of the nefesh of Bahamis that allows the flame to stay stuck to the wick. And that's the conversion, that is the job of the Jew in this world. The job of the Jew in this world is, see, we think that the Yetzirah is our problem and we have to try to get away from it and get around it and bypass it. It's, it's not, the, the Yetzirah is the solution. The Yetzirah is the reason why we're here. The, the, the conversion of the transformation of the Yetzirah into the light, which is the energy of the Nefesh of Bahamas, is the very substance that allows the godly light to stay here. And this is the whole point of the book. This is it. This is the concept of turning darkness into light. It's not that the Jew is pushing the light away. It's, sorry, sorry, excuse me. it's not that the Jew is pushing the darkness away and bringing in the light. It's that the darkness is actually being used as fuel for the light. <laughs> That's the punchline of the whole book, the way I understand it. It's not that we're replacing darkness with light. It's that the darkness itself is actually being converted into light it's the fuel that if it wasn't there there could be no light e, e equals mc squared i'll take your word for that <laughs> and that's why it says hashem is a consuming fire that's how we serve god is by exerting ourselves in this world sweating for hashem which means doing the mitzvahs with the energy of our of our of our of our uh, of our life giving soul of the nefesh of Bahamas, and going against its selfish purposes and, and agenda, 
and dedicating it completely to Hashem. And that's Mamash, the punchline of the whole book. That's the, the conversion of the darkness into light. That was the whole reason why Hashem made the darkness, because he wanted a fuel for his light to be able to burn. Without that darkness, there's no, there's no, there couldn't be light to, there could be no light because there'd be no fuel to, to hold the light. That's it. Which, which implies that light is implicit in the darkness. There is some kind of that you could say like that. Yeah, I hear that hundred percent. Or the ability, the potential for the light, however you want to say it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So is that the purpose of? Is that the purpose of converting the uh, goyim? It's all part. Of the, the goyim's conversion is through the soul of the Jew. Don't think it's through me. It's not through you. It's through your soul, through your godly soul. That's the mistake that we think is we, we think that like, oh, yeah, I'm a Jew and all the goyim will come back to God through me. No, your Jew means that for whatever reason, and it's not to do in your nothing to do with you, is that Hashem put this godly soul in you. And it's through that that not just the goyim, the entire world gets attached back to God. Every everything of the world is able to go back to God through the Jewish soul. That's just how He made the. Uh, that's just how He created the world. You got a problem with that? Take it to the. Uh, take it to His. Take people. it to the boss. Yeah, take it to His people. Well, I gotta run. Yeah, that was amazing. Wow, square. Say Mazel Tov to Akiva. Oh, it's your Bemitzvah, yeah. Yeah. Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. That's fantastic. One. Bye,